Have you ever had someone lie to you without it being entirely obvious that they are, in fact, lying? Or someone tell you something and you're not quite sure if they're giving you the whole truth? Today we are bombarded with tons of information and are tasked with sorting out propaganda and clickbait. But this isn't unique to just now. This is something which has been recurring throughout time. And today we're going to continue our conversation about editing by omission. Welcome to Kingdom of the Logos. This is a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure. I am Jay Dylan Proctor, and here with me in studio today is Amanda Sparrow and Anthony Alegria. Now, we used to call our studio Cord Purgatory, but actually we've been blessed. We've actually moved to a, a new location. Everything's better. The cords are more managed. And I think we've actually managed to get ourselves out of Cord Purgatory a little bit. I don't know. What do you guys think? Uh, yeah, I was trying to think about that. We may not be in court heaven, so I guess we can call this court limbo until we figure out where we are. <laughs> yes, we, we've moved up a few levels. Anyways, this is Podcast 53. Amanda, what are we going to be doing today? All right, so today we are going to talk about the villainous plan of editing by omission, where people um, tell lies by, of course, editing out information or not telling certain information. We're going to go back and see how Marcion and Professor Resurrectomancer are doing and what they're up to next. Also, we're going to revisit Cattleguard in her kitchen and see what she's cooking up there. And then finally, we're going to return to Hot, Not, or Sanctified, which is the game we play uh, that helps us decide whether or not certain events or theological um, ideas are good role models or inspirations. And then, um, but instead of examining a single item like we normally do, we're going to actually go through a list of various things and play the game of Hot, Not, or Sanctified. Yeah, and Hot Not Sanctified is going to be a lot of fun today. Again, we're not just looking at one item, and we're actually going to do a lot of things which are sort of off the wall, but they're things which, as the church, we should talk about and figure out how we're going to react to them. We're going to look at all sorts of things, including some crazy pictures that you can find on the internet, and the Loch Ness Monster. So stay tuned for all of that. We're going to have a lot of fun with it. And again, you can you can find me on Twitter at Proctor. Check out the, the list, Hot Not or Sanctified, and, and tweet me your thoughts, your questions or comments on whether you think these are positive things or not. Well, anyways, we'll be back here in a moment, but we're going to go now to find out what exactly Marcion, the ancient heretic and supervillain, has been up to after being resurrected by none other than Professor Resurrectomancer. Well, Marcion, I have invited you into uh, my little uh, lobby here to begin to discuss what we're going to do next after I've resurrected you and... You've been starting to re-explain what you're going to do. I think, what is our next step? Well, Professor Resurrectomancer, you know, I really in the past wanted to be the first one to, to put out the New Testament. I know I could control the whole world. Everybody's minds would be subject to me, but people, they've come out with all their new texts and all of this stuff, so it's, it's quite terrible. Um, I've been thinking, though, you know, people, they have this understanding that, that God under is... God has this capacity to be good. People are still hung up on God the Father. You know, I've, I've been hoping for so long to eradicate this, this notion of God the Father, but I thought, you know, a good starting place would be to eradicate good. You know, where a better place to not eradicate good than with dogs? Everybody... Dogs. Yes, people love their dogs, and dogs even understand good. So if, if we can do away with dogs, then we can do away with good. I've been thinking... What if we could create robotic dogs? And then could we also eradicate good? Well, you know, Marcin, you've been out of the world for quite a while, so you probably haven't seen all the movies that have to do with robots, but generally they turn on the people who create them. So I don't know, they may actually, in trying to create a bad robot, they may be 
turning good on us, so I, I don't know if that would eradicate good so much. Well, you may be right, and plus, dogs do understand good, and a robotic dog may ultimately be good itself. We, we may not want to go there just yet. We'll, we'll start thinking somewhere else. That is a nice Bluetooth speaker you have there. Is that a gothic-style Bluetooth speaker? I believe so. You know what I really love about this speaker? Is it looks like a lantern. So my, people might think it's giving them light, but actually all it does is make noise. And, and of course I have it specifically tuned to just make the most awful and horrendously annoying noises ever. So I love it for several reasons. But yes, gothic, it's a nice style, don't you think? I, I think so. You know, we didn't have Bluetooth or gothic architecture in my, my younger days, but I, I like that. And I like the deception there. You have them thinking they're going to be getting light, but they instead get some sort of horrific sound. I, I like where you're going with that, Professor Resurrectomancer. That's that's very good. Maybe maybe we could have them everywhere after we take over the world. That, yes, that would be good. Yes, I think this is this is this is a good plan. It will keep people, and we can we, you can talk on it, and we can have you throughout everywhere telling people, you know, your kind of truth that you've emitted out. I think this will be an excellent plan. That would be good. One of the things which really makes Marcion so effective at being a supervillain. Is he realized that if he could be the first one to put together this consolidated New Testament, he could change how the world understood not only itself, but it could change the outlook of the, the church for future generations. This can really change how people think. Editing by omission is something which is quite dangerous. Yes, people like Marcion, they have things which they go out and say that it's just outright. Their only tool isn't editing by omission. But one of the ways that you can cause lasting devastation is by editing by omission. Amanda, what are your thoughts on why it is so dangerous to edit by omission? Well, I think any time that a group decides that certain information is not um, appropriate for a group, and when I say that, I mean like adults to adults. We're not talking about censoring you know, something for children or, or anything like that, but an adult to an adult, when they decide that someone else is not wise enough to receive certain information, they really are kind of taking that role of a parent, they're taking that role as a dictator. Um, and that can be dangerous, whether it's small things or big things, because ultimately what you're confessing in that action is that you do not trust the other person. And especially when it comes to scripture, you're not trusting the Holy Spirit to lead that person um, in, into a place of wisdom and understanding. And actually, as we've been talking about Marcy and I've been thinking of, um, this is not something that happened just in the early church, even modern uh, missionaries have debated about whether or not they should translate certain parts of the Bibles like kings and judges um, when they give it to a tribe or to a culture that's been warring for so long um, because they don't know how that culture is going to handle the idea of a holy word that is presented in some parts of our Bible. And so it's a continual conversation that's been happening really for the last 2,000 years. Um, we see it in, in the Protestant Reformation where people are saying that they want scripture in their own language. And the, the church at the time says, no, you can't handle it. It's only going to be in Latin, only priests, only people who are specifically trained to understand scripture. They're going to understand it. They're going to tell you then what you need to believe out of that scripture. And then almost do most of the sermon in Latin, which people of the, the common time didn't really understand. So there's all these things that have been happening through church history. And then, of course, we can come into our, the secular world and see that's happening in our political fields um, and in journalism where we, we, we hear half a story and we're not quite sure then um, what is the truth because we don't know all the facts. And again, it's dangerous because people do bad things sometimes when they're given all the information, but if we don't allow them that choice, then we're ultimately saying we know better 
um, almost we're almost acting in a godlike kind of situation, which is even more insane if we really look at at the character of God, who allowed for choice, who allowed for information, who presented the, the knowledge of the tree of good and evil to Adam and Eve, and he told them that's not the right way to gain knowledge. That if they fellowship uh, with God, they will gain knowledge, they will gain wisdom in the appropriate way. But that choice was still presented to them, and so again, the, the great kind of evil um, and our, our great villain Marcion and, and all that he's doing, uh, what makes him so powerful is that he presents just enough truth for people to believe it, but ultimately he's deciding that he knows better um, than everyone else. Yeah, and there's a couple of things I want to add to this. So the church throughout its history has always had this push and pull. The modern world, the modern secular world, likes to edit Christian history, and a lot of Christians go along with editing Christian history, too, for a lot of different reasons. There's a big set of incentives in our world for editing history. However, within the church, there's always been this sort of split of mind and push and pullback. There have been people, whether they be authority figures who have wanted to you know, burn books or things which are considered unorthodox, but then you have another massive school of thought, which has historically been the ones who have, who have moved the church to, to broader terms, they've expanded the church in a lot of ways, who have really come from the scholastic movement. And even pre-scholastic movement, you find people like Augustine, you find people who are critical thinkers throughout the church, who are not people who want to censor ideas which are outside of the church. If you take, for instance, even people like Isaac Newton, who are heavily devoted to God, these are people who look at the world and they say, God is rational, God is reasonable. Therefore, we ourselves should also be rational and reasonable. God gave order to creation. Therefore, God's creation, God's scripture, it's, it's capable of handling scrutiny. It's capable of handling critical thinking. There's a lot of people who it, I feel like they're scared that if you bring uh, scripture to debate or you bring it to critical thinking that it won't hold up. This is ridiculous. God is orderly. God is of reason. And scripture can certainly hold up to that. But back to the idea of censoring things, you find a, another section of the church which says we don't need to censor things. You find them saying people like Aristotle, Plato, Socrates, these are great thinkers. We need to read the work which comes out of these. And even if you find within a lot of the movements within the church, you find the intellectual side always looks around the world and says we're going to receive information, we're going to translate that information into knowledge, and we're going to do something important with it. Whereas the totalitarian side of humanity always wants to come in and say, well, let's censor it. I know Amanda referenced dictators earlier. Again, one of the ways that people maintain power is you've got to suppress anything which can be a threat to you, and ideas can unmistakably be a threat. One of the things that I want to throw out there real quick as we wrap up this conversation before we go see Miss, Miss Cattleguard is the fact that when you hide information, again, when you edit by omission, that's a lot harder to recognize than it is when you add in something which is a lie. Take, for instance, a lot of these these heresies that exist, even something like Marcion, they remove things. And it's it's difficult when you have heard something about the gospel, it's difficult to, to pick up a book and say, well, there are pieces missing here. That's a lot um, harder to do than if you were to pick up something and it's got an extra passage in there where it says something to the effect of, and, and on the next day, Jesus come and he said, these are, this is how we're going to take over the world. We're going to go and we're going to rob all of these banks and something in there, which is some ludicrous story that you've never heard of, where it's Jesus actually being something more like King David riding into battle and going to, to overthrow Rome and he's the new Caesar. If something like that were to be added into to the New Testament, you could look at it and say, well, we've never heard this story about Jesus being the new Caesar in Rome. So something about that's not quite correct. But Amanda, one last thought, and 
and I'll let us close after that and move on to Mrs. Cattleguard. Um, what do you think? Isn't it much easier to, to see something extra added in than it is sometimes to see what is missing? Well, and I think uh, I definitely agree in the sense of, especially when it comes to our scriptures, there's a lot to it. And we kind of usually hit the highlights, right? So like, kind of think of a lot of people have almost like a VBS knowledge of scripture, just kind of the important narratives. And so it, they almost in that there's been a kind of an editing of omission, the stories that we decide are more important to tell. Um, and so when you add something that is ridiculous, like your example or any other ones, um, when different things have been discovered in, in the last you know, 100 years of Christianity, like the Dead Sea Scrolls and different things like that, and we've we've have all these discoveries, we kind of can be like, okay, yeah, this fits or this doesn't fit or this might be fake because it's adding something we realize. Um, or like, you know, movies that came out like the Da Vinci Code, we're like, yeah, that's that's obvious fiction. You know, we can, we can tell. We're like, yeah. yeah, this makes no sense in the context of scripture. But honestly, we could take things out, um, probably a good chunk of our scripture out and present it maybe to the, the common layperson, and they may not realize it because all they do know or recognize or, or try to remember are those kind of highlights. And so they, they can be deceived when someone admits, like the Old Testament, like we've talked in previous episodes, where a pastor said, no, you really don't have to listen to the Old Testament. They're like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense because we can just, you know, we have Jesus, we're good. Um, and so those kinds of twists and turns um, become a little bit more deceptive because there's something good in them. Yeah. Um, and so we kind of hold on to that. Yeah, and again, the antidote to this sort of revising of, of thinking and trying to control people's minds by editing by omission, the best way to, to deal with this is, again, engage in debate, critical thinking, and just read history. Well, we'll be back here in a moment as we go to Mrs. Cattleguard's kitchen. So stick around for that. Well, hello there. Welcome to Mrs. Cattleguard's kitchen. Now, we've met before. Thankfully, Kingdom of Lagos, Lagos hasn't canceled me yet. So here I am. Now, today we're going to be cooking a few things and. Again, y'all know I don't cook much. I mean, y'all literally know how much I cook because every time I do it, I'm on film. So you really do know. Now, we're going to cook first some grilled cheese, and then we're going to move on to ramen noodles. But I'm, I'm producing some new recipes because I feel like ramen noodles and grilled cheese can be improved upon. But today, we're going to do it in a very, very great way. So now... You take your cheese, you put your pan on the stove. You keep it on maybe medium. And then you throw your cheese first. You start with the cheese. Now everyone, you know, everyone else says they think that you need bread. But bread's for hippies, it comes from plants. This is a dairy product. We're gonna be eating animals today. All right, so we put the cheese on the pan, you grill the cheese. You take it off the pan once the cheese is thoroughly grilled. Who's gonna tell me that that's not grilled cheese? I mean, it's grilled cheese. You can't mess up grilled cheese if the cheese is grilled. It's grilled cheese. I don't know how you can make that any more simple. I mean, these people, they mess it up, the grilled cheese with the bread. It's not grilled san cheese sandwich. That makes no sense, it's just a grilled cheese. So now, we're gonna start looking at some ramen noodles. This is how most people start their ramen noodle recipe. That's not where Mrs. Cattleguard starts.
we start with a bowl and then we head to the faucet. Now, it's my understanding that most of you kids at home have a microwave. But if you don't have a microwave, go somewhere where there's a microwave. You're going to want to cook it first, before anything, for 1 minute and 15 seconds. And then... After your one minute and 15 seconds is up, you've got yourself some ramen noodles. Now, I hope everyone enjoyed cooking with Mrs. Catacod Kitchen. Thank you for joining us back here in the studio. I'm not quite sure what was wrong with Miss Cattleguard, as she obviously omitted some very important details uh, in her cooking. Uh, we find people doing this throughout history, and it's a lot harder sometimes to deal with that than when maybe people add something extra in. And now we're going to play a game of hot, not, or sanctified. But today it's going to be a little bit different. And instead of looking at a single item, we're going to look at a list. So this is how this game works. Anthony is going to be reading us a list of items today, and myself and Amanda, we're going to decide if it is hot, not, or sanctified. If we say it is hot, then we say it is a positive inspiration, and that there is something we can learn about it as people who are children of God. If we say it is not, then we're saying this is something which is explicitly bad. It is not something that we should idolize or we should look at and say this is good for us. We're saying this is a bad inspiration. This is something which is against the, the calling of the people of God. And if we go to the, the question of sanctified, we're not actually saying that the topic is sanctified. We're just saying that only God's divine judgment, which is sanctified and holy, can decide if it is a positive thing or not. It's our way of saying we're going to have to step back from this one and only God can decide. So let's go ahead and begin with this. Anthony, if you would begin, and we're going to take a look right at this list. Starting off today, this picture is from Tumblr blog Bible Illustrated, depicting Judges 4.1. When Ehud was dead, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. And this is almost something worth doing in Hot, Not a Sanctified by itself, just this blog. <laughs> um, check out a Bible in, in well, if I can even talk, Bible Illustrated on Tumblr. It's a very interesting thing. Um, so Amanda... What do you think? I'll let you answer this first before I <laughs> say whether or not this is a positive theological inspiration or not. You know, I've been, since we um, kind of were preparing for this episode and you've shown me this picture, I've been debating, yeah, the last hour what my answer would be because there's just something, I think we have the picture up or had it up for you guys to look at it. There's something just deeply disturbing about this illustration. You're not quite sure what's going on. I, I, I'm still not 100% sure I'm connecting the dots of what the passage has to do with the picture. Um, I definitely think art and illustrating uh, the Bible is important and, and it's a great medium in which we can communicate the good news. I, I just, I'm not convinced that this picture follows that paradigm. Um, 
I, I, I hate saying sanctified because I do want to make it, I don't want it to be a cop-out, but I just, I don't know what to do with this. So I, I am going to have to just say sanctified and maybe give it a little more thought um, before I can say anything yeah, else. Yeah, we, we may have to, to put a cap on how many times one can say sanctified, <laughs> but I come to this too, and I really had planned on being like, ah, I've got to say, like, I just don't know on this, but Amanda said sanctified, so I'm going to I'm gonna go all in and just say not on this one. <laughs> I'm going in on it. All right, Anthony, let's move on to the next item. A 1920s poster of Vladimir Lenin saying, follow the true path, comrades. All right, so this one is a lot of, um, it's just fascinating to look at this. So many evil things and so much death and destruction came out of, of Russia in this, the entire 20th century. And you see something like this, and again, this picture is really creepy. Amanda pointed out, looking at this, how creepy it is. The artwork is really fascinating, though. It's, it's extremely well done. And even the statement there, follow the true path comrades. Again, editing by omission, it's suggesting this idea of, hey, if you go along with Lenin, well, you're on the side of truth. You're on the side of friendship, comrade. Don't you want to be a comrade? And so I've got to definitely step in and say not, because it's a way of manipulating people. It's lying to people about what truth is. It's lying to people about what friendship is. It's lying to people about how the world works, so not. Yeah, yeah, definitely not. And not just this particular poster, but just a lot we have to be careful when it comes to any kind of political propaganda um again we have to kind of hear and investigate the whole story and not just kind of this, these little snippets but yeah especially something that comes from such a dangerous era and era of, of such evil and manipulation of people and idea ideas it, it is it's just very disturbing like even in a painting there's just this menacing look that comes out of his eyes so you're just like yeah, this this feels so wrong yeah and i don't even know if it's true but if you look in the background of this particular painting it looks like there are various um characters and things in the background as I if there are, are letters and you even see a few things which are, are reminiscent of faces maybe it's like looking at the ink blot test for me i don't know <laughs> um russian is not a language that i am particularly good with um, but you look at this and it, it seems like there's a lot of just stuff in the background. It is menacing. Um, Amanda said something earlier, whenever political ads come out and stuff, take everything with a grain of salt. Do not believe what's in the political ad. I think that's probably the best rule for life. We might just want to just end the program there. Whenever, <laughs> whenever politicians give you an ad, anyone, even if it's politicians you like, if they give you an ad, do not believe what is in the ad. Research it. Um, especially if they're politicians you like, um, just always, always take that with a grain of salt. Um, because, again, a lot of stuff, it may look good and sound good. This is actually a good artist was involved in this, but a lot of evil things came out of it. Well, everyone knows that wasn't real communism. Anyways, yes, uh, yeah, people make that argument, but um, people need to be aware of the history of all of this. Let's go on to the next item, Anthony. Item three. C.S. Lewis states this in regards to pain and suffering. Pain would be no problem. Unless side by side with our daily experience of this painful world, we had received what we think a good assurance that ultimate reality is righteous and loving. All right, C.S. Lewis makes some interesting arguments. We've all in our life probably heard someone make the, the claim or the statement to us, where is God? There's suffering in the world. There's evil in the world. How could there be a God of, of good, justice, mercy, all these things, if all these things evil happen in the world? They say, look at the starving children. Look at all these, these victims of crime. How could there ever be a God in a world that would let this happen? C.S. Lewis makes an interesting argument because he says the answer to where God is is actually found in that question. Because without God, we would not know that something 
should be better. That creation should not be this place of, of suffering. He says, because people are even asking the question, where is God in the midst of the suffering? It's evidence that people know that creation was intended to be something better than that. That God being good and his nature being centered around the concept of good, his creation also was intended to be, well, good. But something has crept into creation and caused a fall. Things have fractured away from that and there is no longer good found throughout creation. In fact, you find pockets of, of evil and tragedy all over the world. So I'm going to have to say hot to that. I think it's a very good theological inspiration. I think it's a, a very good um, piece to read. Yes, and I agree as well. C.S. Lewis and all his writings. Some people may only be familiar with his children's books, The Chronicles of Narnia, um, but he has written some fantastic theological works that are great, hot uh, theological inspirations. I believe this quote comes from his book, The Problem with Pain, or something to that effect is the title. Um, it's something to investigate and learn more about his argument and his conversation um, about these things, but definitely a hot inspiration. For sure. Next item, Anthony. Item number four. Hunting the Loch Ness Monster Using DNA Profiles. This story coming to you from smithsonianmag.org. Just, just to put a pause in there, I know some of those who watch this program are involved in forensics, and they know other people that are. It's interesting to see how something like DNA profiling can even relate to the Loch Ness Monster and cryptology and cryptozoology and all that <laughs> stuff. Anthony, continue on. Sorry. Survey of the Life in Loch Ness will hunt for its monster resident. The goal is to catalog the lake's diversity of life, including any oversized prehistoric reptiles. If the Loch Ness Monster exists, and it's not some pan-dimensional creature from the fairy world, it should have DNA. Like other creatures that lurk in the watery realms, that DNA should be floating all over its lake home, Loch Ness in Scotland. Scientists can use this genetic material known as eDNA to track elusive beast. And now researchers are turning that powerful method on Loch Ness to create the most comprehensive biodiversity catalog of its residents yet. And it may or may not include Nessie. Almost every creature that touches a body of water leaves DNA filled traces behind. Ducks may leave skin cells and feces. Fish may shed scales and urinate. Amphibians shed mucus, and even mammals like deer leave some saliva when they bend down to drink. And as the price for DNA testing has plummeted, comprehensive surveys of water bodies has become more feasible. The Loch Ness researchers hope to create a similar catalog while surveying the lake's DNA. The researchers have been collecting samples since April. Michael Greshko writes for National Geographic, and they'll start extracting the DNA this June. Well, I'm going to go ahead and say I think this is a hot theological inspiration. Again, if God is rational and reasonable and we are called to have our minds transformed, we need to go out and be doing excellent things throughout the world. I think this is a great application of our minds and it puts together some of the, or it may put to rest some of the mythology in the world. Um, I have some more thoughts on this, but before we do, I want to let Amanda share her thoughts on all of this. Okay, yeah, I don't think I would ever, in, in kind of conceptualizing what we were doing for this episode, think my response to the Loch Ness Monster would be a hot theological inspiration. But as Dylan pointed out, there is um, 
something to be said about the fact that people have a uh, tool that they can use this DNA, DNA research and that they're applying it to kind of figure out the mysteries of the world. And so that's definitely something that will be interesting. Um, what will then be even more interesting to see if this is a theolo uh, inspiration or not is then how people will respond uh, to this. Yeah, because, again, we don't know what they're going to find. But, again, in the church, we should be called to have our minds transformed. Throughout the history of the church, there's been this idea that reason is a divine gift. Even if you go back to people like Thomas Aquinas, he really understands that reason is a divine gift. If you look at people like Augustine, Isidore of Seville, I know we've talked some about Anselm, all of these people, they understand that reason is a divine gift, and it's very important for us to have. Even people like C.S. Lewis. If you read any of the C.S. Lewis novels, I know Amanda referenced Narnia before, there's this wonderful scene in the, the Chronicles of Narnia where Aslan is singing and creation starts to come into existence. And in the context of Narnia, well, Narnia starts to come into existence. And you see the world come together in a very orderly fashion. And God is orderly, therefore we should also be orderly. Well, on the topic of Narnia, uh, yesterday I was in Goodwill with some people and we came up to this wardrobe. And I started to make a joke to people like, yo, we're going to open this up and find Narnia. And I go and open it up. And like it was like a shock moment when we did this because we opened up the, the wardrobe and like you seen through it and there's like another world in there. But then it was just more goodwill because <laughs> the, the wardrobe was actually broken. It didn't have the back in the wardrobe anymore. So it was like a shock. You open it up and you're like, oh my gosh, Narnia. And then you're like, oh, no, it's not Narnia. It's goodwill. So <laughs> the, the letdowns in life, you're expecting a wardrobe to another dimension, but it's just Narnia. More so close. Stark. So close. <laughs> it's just almost there. Goodwill, Narnia, almost there. All right, so item number five, this clip on the Loch Ness Monster. Yes, more Loch Ness Monster. Uh, well, as everybody in Scotland knows, of course Nessie exists. So, you know, I, I think you're treading in some very dangerous waters here, if you don't mind me saying. I mean, you can patronise me, you can patronise the SNP, you can patronise uh, Scotland. You've probably tried most of that this morning, but... Um, Patronising Nessie, I think that's pretty dodgy. Sorry. Uh, I certainly wouldn't want to patronise you ever in any way, shape or form. I'm just a little bit worried <laughs> that you say you believe in the Loch Ness Monster if they prove it doesn't exist. Where does that stand on everything else you say? You're not actually asking me that as a serious question, are you? <laughs> no. I mean, it's really. <laughs> I'm not really, but I just hope for your sake, and okay, also good. for everyone who loves the idea of the Loch Ness Monster like me, that it turns out yeah. that they either don't prove it doesn't exist or that they prove it does. The Loch Ness Monster does exist, and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to concede ground on this this morning. OK. We don't have polls saying either of those things, Nicholas, so we can't deny uh, whatever you're saying. Thank you very much Good for joining today. us. I hope the conference goes well. Uh, it's always very entertaining and, and enjoyable to hear from you. Thank you. Was I the only one that heard the laugh in the background? No, you were not. That is pretty funny. <laughs> so I come to this, and I'm going to say not. And the reason why I say not in this circumstance is because, well, in the conversation of editing by omission, a lot of times journalists and things, they like to to really paint a narrative more than they like to actually reveal truth to people. And it's interesting to me, this this lady who's here of the, the SNP, it looks like they're trying to get her in a trap. And I think she's kind of in this position where, look, if I disown Nessie, like this is going to destroy me as a, a politician in Scotland. I, I could be wrong, but that's kind of what I took away from it. She's like, you're not getting me caught in the Nessie trap. Like, is this really what journalism is, is down to? 
Um, so that, I don't know. I'm just going to say not to that. Amanda? Yeah, there's yeah, there's just awkwardness, I think, on both sides as they're trying to kind of figure out. Yeah, the, the reporter puts on the question, like, if you're wrong about Nessie, then are you wrong about all your other political opinions? Which is also just an odd statement. Uh, I, I don't think if you're wrong or right about one topic necessarily has influence. If you're wrong or right on another, it can, um, if you have kind of a habit or a character of being a liar. But um, in that context, I'm not sure what one had to do with the other. But yes, definitely. And then the other one's like, no, we're just going to believe Nessie. And so then all the science that's happening <laughs> has to back up because we already believe it, which I think can be a dangerous uh, frame of mind yeah. uh, to say that even before the facts, the facts have to back us up um, because we already believe in a truth that we're not even sure is true or not. But anyways, so yeah, there, there's just some very weird conversation happening in that video. Yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> oh, so we're going to go with not. <laughs> to clarify. Oh, yes, yes, not, not. Double not. But we'll we'll leave that there. Um, yeah, send us your, your questions, comments. Twitter at J. Dylan Proctor. Next item, Anthony. Item number six. Another picture from Tumblr blog, Bible Illustrated, depicting Jude one nineteen. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit. All right. So as we look at this picture, when I first look at some of these pictures, I'm like, what does this have to do with the, the scripture? And then you're like, oh, okay, so it's talking a little bit about narcissism. You've got somebody looking in a the mirror. They're kind of obsessed with it, and they've got the candles going on there. Um, you know, I, I clearly said not about the previous Tumblr blog Bible <laughs> Illustrated picture, but now I'm going to go a little bit different. I'm actually going to be sanctified on this one because this may be good. I don't know. Send us your, your comments and thoughts. Um, Amanda, what do you, you think about this? I, I think I'm going to go hot, maybe maybe a mild on this oh, one. Oh, really? Um, Because, yeah, I think there is something to say just that, especially pertaining this one, out of all the pictures, has the the picture has the most to do with the the scripture, and so you kind of see a connection that that kind of division and dissension ultimately causes brokenness. Um, so I can I, I can go with this one. It's still a little bit odd and creepy, um, but uh, you know it, it, it might it, be okay. <laughs> it is. Well, continuing on our exposition of Tumblr blog Bible Illustrated, Anthony, next item, item number seven. Another picture from Tumblr blog, Bible Illustrated, depicting Jude 1 through 4, or 1-4 rather, sorry. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Which, if I could interject here, I'm going to have to put... My label of hot on this one. They are ungodly men, and this guy was pretty good. At depicting ungodliness? Yeah. Okay. You are saying hot to that. I'm going to say not to this. Um, yeah, that's all I'm going to say. Yeah, and, and though, Anthony, I do understand your uh, comment, and, and I can kind of agree kind of understand where you, what you're, where you're coming from but I'm gonna have to go with not and the only reason is because when we start depicting uh, things that are against the church and again it's okay for I, I think art is fine and, and especially can be a great medium 
Um, but often we can look at church history and see where we have depicted certain things. And when we try to depict evil, often they're conditioned by a certain time and a certain culture and a certain place. And so the things themselves may not be evil. They're just what that particular group doesn't like. So anytime we try to depict evil, we have to be exceedingly careful that we're actually depicting something that is evil according to God's judgment, not our own or our cultural biases. And so this one also, the, again, super disturbing. Um, I just... It just, it is, I don't yeah, know why this person decides to draw the things they draw. And so I'm just going to have to go with not on this one. It, just that particular picture, there's something like exceedingly disturbing about it. I agree. This, I was joking earlier. <laughs> oh, you should have committed to it, man. You got to commit. No, no, I wasn't just playing, but it is. This is probably the most hilarious for me personally. Oh, this one it I is. Was it funniest. is. Well, I'm not gonna say it's the most hilarious because it gets better. We have one more item we're gonna talk about, ladies and gentlemen. So if you bear with us a little bit longer, um, please, please do not fire us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> please, please do support our program. Um, always like and share our content. Um, next item in the final picture from Tumblr blog Bible Illustrated. This one is depicting Jude one twenty three. Hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Which okay. this one is also very comical. <laughs> this is the most comical of them all, in my opinion. Um, and Amanda's actually may have changed my mind on this one. Because in the past, she was saying, uh, we have to be careful depicting evil. Though I'm not sure that underwear is inherently <laughs> evil. Um, but she is talking about how things get culturally bound. And like clearly the whitey tidies um, culturally bound. Um this this whole thing and even the word "ew" that they have written on there totally culturally bound. All of this is, but you get a mix. You get somebody wearing a robe that's like, <laughs> you know, first century clothing, and then you get like the whitey tidies, the bra, um, sort of. They're both kind of a bad depiction of those things. But anyways, you get this, and and originally I was gonna say not to this, but I'm actually thinking I'm gonna say hot to it. And the reason why I'm saying hot is because this is an an example of things like not to do. <laughs> um, so it's 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 hot by negation. Um, and I'm going to leave that there. Amanda? Um, I, I think I'm going to go with hot and kind of a similar uh, line of thought that you're going through. Not necessarily because I think the picture itself is, um, is, is, um, it simply is almost, <laughs> it, it leaves me for loss of words. But also because I've noticed a lot of these pictures or all the pictures that the person's depicted that we've chosen to show is from Jude, which is just an odd book. If you ever, it's only one chapter. If you ever have time, sit down and read it, and, and I promise you, you will read it going, what? Um, because it starts off with, like, this weird thing with angels and Michael and Satan, and then we go into a kind of a weird review of the Old Testament, and then there's odd imagery about oceans and, and nature. It's a weird book. Um, I do encourage you to read it, but please, like, make sure you have a good study Bible so you can kind of help yourself work work through it. Um, but it just, it, it's hot then because it does give us something to wrestle with. And again, as we've been talking about omitting things and, and uh, editing by omission, if I were to create the Bible today, I'm not sure I would include Jude. It's such a weird book. But we yeah. need things like that to help us to struggle and to hear and to listen and to understand. And so even though this is a weird picture from a weird book, it's hot in the in the idea that it does give us something for us to investigate and try to search out more and to understand things better. Yeah, and wrestling with weird ideas and even difficult ideas, it, it builds up your mind. 
it helps your mind become a critical thinker. When you wrestle with ideas that may be strange, that may be antithetical to how you understand the world, it helps you become a, a better thinker. It's, it's a very good thing. It's, it's healthy. It builds up sort of your resistance to the things which may disturb you, and you, you actually are able to be a better thinker about stuff. And to Amanda's point, read the book of Joe, or Jude, and you'll find some perplexing things. I don't know that I would recommend people to get on uh, Tumblr blog Bible Illustrated, but since we've been using their content, sure, go go check them out. I don't think you'll find anything bad in there. It's all supposed to be biblical. But if you do, they are not endorsed by We're not program. endorsing them. We're saying we have looked at everything that they have done so far, and you have an idea of the material you're getting into. I cannot answer for the things that they are doing in the future. They are not any way connected to us, but it is something that you will be bewildered and perplexed by. Or even if you look at the ones associated with the book of Jude, you'll read Jude and you'll read this and like, I may have not known what was going on here. I don't know what's going on here and I don't know how they connect to one another. But you can throw your hands up in there and be like, that's it. I will say that um, the one with the mirror is really interesting. But then the rest are just kind of like, that is, an, that is an interesting interpretation of that verse. Yes, yeah. for real. Anyways, thank you for joining us today. Again, this is Kingdom of the Logos. You can find us on Facebook, YouTube. You can download our free podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, um, iHeartRadio, CastBox, and the RSS feed goes out through a few various uh, podcasting sites. Please download our podcast. And if you really like our content, please click that share button. It's a little arrow and you can share it to your friends and family. That will help us out tremendously. And if you really, really like us and you say, we like these people getting out of cord purgatory, we want them to, to even get out of limbo, um, you can become a, a patron and support the podcast. You can go to patreon.com slash kingdom of the logos and support us. We would appreciate that greatly. And thank you so much for watching us. And we'll leave it there. Marcian, were they selling indulgences over there at Kingdom of the Lagos? You know, Professor Resurrectomancer, they may be selling indulgences to get out of court purgatory or something like that. I, I don't know. It, it's not my problem. I just know that, that we're going to take over the world and it'll be okay after that. They, they, the thugs at Kingdom of Lagos, they'll, they'll have nothing on us when, when life is over. Very good.